was a wild weekend in the Pac-12, and we've got a bigger weekend ahead. Up next, John Wilner and I kick it all around. Welcome to another episode of Kanzano and Wilner. What's better than one, John? Here's Johnny. Hmm, nobody really knows. That's why we put two of them together. This is Kanzano and Wilner, a.k.a. John and John. I'm John Canzano. Welcome to another episode of the Canzano and Wilner podcast. Uh, you can read me at johnconzano.com. That's where you get me. Get a free subscription. Get a paid subscription. Whatever works for you works for me. I'm here with the great John Wilner. We have a lot to talk about. Wilner, though, first, where do they find you? Bay Area News Group is the mothership, pac12hotline.com, and we are available media outlets throughout the conference footprint. And yeah, you said it. There was uh, that was There was a lot of news on the field. Right. And it was different. We had upsets after weeks and weeks of of the heavy favorites winning some big upsets. A lot of things have changed. Let's where do we start? Because it's the top of this conference. We could have a five way tie. Uh, Oregon's got an injury, possibly. Utah is gaming for this weekend. We got UCLA, uh, USC. Where do you want to start? By the way, I am so all in. For that five-way tie at seven and two, I think <laughs> no. that would be fantastic. It would be so Pac-12. Yeah. And the thing is, it wouldn't be that hard. Like if you you look at the scenarios, there's really only one or two upsets in there, and they're not big upsets either. So uh, my fingers are crossed. We get five ways. We got a whole bunch of injuries. Um, you know, Oregon State had some injuries uh, that uh, are getting sorted out. I think it was a costly win for them against Cal. Oregon, obviously, Bo Nix goes down. There's some question about his availability this week, uh, and I think they're going to keep that close to the vest uh, until we get closer to kickoff. What do you make of uh, – let's start with Oregon-Utah. What do you make of this game, what it means for the Ducks, uh, and how Dan Lanning handled the fourth down and one from his own 34? Did he get it right? Yeah, let's talk about that. Uh, I don't think he did get it right. Uh, I was watching that thing unfold. And you see Nick's is hopping up and down on the sideline next to him, right? And I'm not going to judge whether Nick's should have gone back in the game right at that moment because, you know, that's kind of a medical thing. And I can't fault Lanning necessarily for not just sending him in immediately. But I'm watching it thinking, timeout. Call timeout. Yes. This is the biggest play of the game. You got so much riding on it. Nix is telling you he can go in. You got a you got a basically a rookie quarterback, fourth down. You, if you don't convert, Washington basically needs to go five yards and they got a field goal. Call time out, and they just plowed ahead. I didn't like it. I didn't like that they had other injuries. They had some guys on the offensive line that were banged up. Nix is not in the game. The defense knows you're handing the ball off there. Uh, I agree with the timeout, and I I was yelling pun it. Because, and look, I don't blame Dan Lanning logic. Like, after the game, he says, look, we get it 10 out of 10 times. You know, we, we felt like we, we couldn't stop him. We couldn't get a stop. We all saw that. They were, they were in trouble. Oregon was in trouble if this game went to overtime. But I still wanted a pause there. I didn't want, let's, you know, Oregon to go for it, be hasty, not at their best with Ty Thompson under center. I mean, that's undeniable. And, and take what amounts to a season... Uh, you know, it's the moment of truth for their season. And and I have felt all along 
that Dan Lanning's done a really good job this year, and we're going to talk about this later in the in the podcast. Like, is he a candidate for Coach of the Year? I think he is. But I felt all along like we would see a moment where a first-time, first-year head coach with first-time coordinators around him that maybe they might have some growing pains. And I felt like this was the moment. Like, you know, it was clear yeah. to me, like, you, you're right. Take the timeout, be sure. And if you're not sure, punt the damn ball there. Because even though Michael Penix Jr. had gone up and down and up and down the field, you know, they had got to stop with an interception on a previous possession. Like, they had, you know, uh, granted, Washington drove the ball 90 yards on them. But I would have rather punted the ball there and taken a breath if I'm Dan Lanning or taking the timeout and taking a breath than running a play. And clearly, you know, the running back slips. I'm not sure he gets the first down even if he doesn't slip. And that essentially ends the game because Washington's just going to get an easy field goal and they're going to kill the clock. And I love that Bo Nix tried to come back and looked okay, but it was just such a scramble. And Oregon's season, I think, didn't need to come down to that kind of scramble. Plus, you give Ty Thompson a chance to settle down if you take a break. It's just... That was different, right? That game, that moment was different than everything they have been in. And you need to recognize, I feel like a veteran head coach recognizes it's okay to hit pause. It's not a sign of weakness to hit pause. We're not going to lose any momentum by hitting pause. We just need to make sure we get it right, right? Getting it right is more important than going quick because – Washington knew exactly what they were doing. Like you said, Thompson, they weren't going to put the ball in Thompson's hands in that point. Washington knows if Oregon runs a play right here, it's going to be a handoff. So you're not gaining a strategic advantage by going fast. What you need to do is make sure you got the right play, the right personnel. And man, that was, uh, that was fascinating to watch those, you know, that sequence unfold given Everything that happened, Oregon's in a game that they never, you know, they don't expect that game to be in that position. They they fell apart a little. I was watching that thinking, this is kind of like what happened to Washington State against Oregon in the last four minutes when the, the Cougars had a lead and kind of fell apart. And that's what happened with the Ducks a little bit. Everything just started snowballing. It was uh, disappointing to see Oregon's season go that way. But simultaneously, let's give some credit to Washington, Kalen DeBoer, Michael Penix Jr., fantastic offensive showing from a team that I thought would be in over its head in this game. They played at like they belonged. They played with confidence. You could see the confidence grow. Like Oregon, you know, Oregon forced one punt and had one interception on a deflected pass. Otherwise, Washington just scored and scored and scored and scored. And, you know, Oregon's got some real questions about their defense. And now, oh, they, yeah. and now they face a Utah team that I think with Andy Ludwig as offensive coordinator is going to be salivating watching that film, going, hey, we can do a variety of things. Oregon's going to have to score points against Utah to win this Saturday. Yeah, I think you can question whether Oregon's defense has played to its potential this season. They, I didn't, I, they've been a little bit more uh, turnstile-like than I would have thought, given given their personnel. But you're right about the Huskies, and I, I walked away, you know, you can take the 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 narrow view, the the short term view, right? That that was bad for the Pac-12 because Oregon's out of the playoff race. But if you step back and you look at the the shape of the conference the next three five years, 
you know, Washington being back, and that was the signature win for Kalen DeBoer. Washington being back is a bigger deal long term, I think, than Oregon missing the missing the playoff is short term, right? The conference needs Washington at or near its maximum. And to me, that was a that was a huge deal. You're right. They Penix was great. I was surprised by Washington's defense. I thought if you had told me before the game that uh the Huskies would score 30 mid 30s, I would have said, yeah, I could see that, right? I mean, UCLA went in there and scored 30, but I would never have guessed that the Husky defense would hold Oregon to 34. I would have figured 45 to 50 for the Ducks just because Washington hasn't been very good on defense. To me, that was that was the difference. Their tackling, their aggressiveness, you know, getting Knicks a little bit out of rhythm. What the biggest surprise to me was Washington's defense. The Washington uh, defensive stand on the one yard line uh, ends up with Oregon fumbling a snap. Right, yep. Oregon got cute down there. Their second possession of the game, they drive sixty five yards. They're inside the two. Uh, Bo Nix, they did this shift thing. They fumbled. You know, I felt like that they just got a little cute there. Just snapped the ball and handed off. You had. You had seven points there. but So I think Oregon did a lot of things wrong. Like offensively, you know, Oregon scored on all but that fumble possession and the one that they turn over on downs in the fourth quarter. That's it. Every other possession, they either score or they get a field goal attempt. They miss a field goal uh, in the second quarter. But it it was, uh, I thought, a decent performance by Oregon, but not good enough to beat a Washington team that just showed up and did what it wanted on offense. And, yeah. it, and I think you're right. This is great for the conference. Washington... Oregon, both being good, great for the conference. Right. And then you you think about what – I don't know that this really means anything in terms of the value of uh, a media deal that they might sign because that stuff is basically – you know the structure of that is, is in place by now. But it, it certainly helps – Going forward, if those two programs are strong, because all, without the L, without LA, right, the 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 pillars of the conference are in the in the mostly in the Pacific Northwest on, on the football side, and and that's that is a big deal having Washington good. I mean, when was the last time? This is another interesting piece. When was the last time Washington and Oregon were both good for a sustained period of time? I don't. I can't remember. It's almost like there's not enough really good players available in the Pacific Northwest to support really good rosters for both teams, right? Washington was good under Peterson. Oregon was down. When Oregon was good under, you know, under Chip, Washington was mediocre. It's been what? I know two, the 2000, was it, when they tied for the conference title with Oregon State? But it's interesting how neither program – they haven't both been really good together for multiple years. And and we could see – who knows? Maybe we'll see that in the second half of the decade. Let's talk a little bit about what's going on in L.A. this week because big matchups. We mentioned Utah and Oregon, huge game at Austin Stadium. But got this battle for L.A. Everybody focused on what it means for the conference. I also think it means something in that L.A. market. And it would be huge for UCLA not just to win that game and – you know, nudge in front of USC in the standings. But look, we know they're a great basketball school. They've been to the NCAA tournament. They've been to Final Fours. But the question is about whether or not they can compete in football. It's always been that way. We can't even have the debate unless they can win a game like this, right? Yeah. Do you? I don't know. I think they got a long way to go, (laughs) right? But certainly it does help. It, It helps. I still sense that a lot of UCLA fans 
they're enjoying this, but they're still kind of skeptical about football. And Chip Kelly, to be honest, yeah. that that Arizona that was a that was a bad loss. Uh, yep, that was a real bad loss. Yeah, it it I was I was leaning towards picking UCLA this week, and after seeing the Arizona game, I'm like, well, Caleb Williams is going to do to UCLA what Jaden Delora did, and I guess we'll give our picks later in the week. But I I think that's going to be a hell of a game. And it obviously has implications for the conference championship. You have five teams that could get there. USC and Oregon, obviously, and Utah all have one loss. UCLA and Washington behind them at two losses. Look out. Huge weekend ahead. Uh, what do you mean? Do, yeah, do you think that we are watching really just elite offenses with with those top teams? Or do you think... It's a. I think it's a combination. Really good quarterbacks, good offense, but man, the defenses aren't that great, right? I mean, it's better than the reverse where you've got seventeen to fourteen games, but I mean, the LA schools, Washington, Oregon, they don't. There's no granite defenses there. All three of the one-loss teams in conference play: USC, Oregon, and Utah are starting transfer quarterbacks. And so I think it's quarterback play. And I think it's the lack of defensive tackles that we've always talked about the difference between the Pac-12 and the and the SEC. So you're 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 having a hard time getting making those guys uncomfortable. And I'll even throw in Dorian Thompson Robinson at UCLA. Like he looks very comfortable. Michael Penix at Washington, comfortable. These quarterbacks are having their way. And you know I think the game has has uh, some advantages for the offense the way it's officiated. But uh, I think we're watching great elite quarterbacks, transfer quarterbacks, experienced quarterbacks. Uh, take advantage of defenses. And I'll even throw Jaden Delora, another transfer in there. We watched him do it to UCLA. He made them very uncomfortable. Yeah. I, it's better. To me, the public perception of your football product is better if you're, you know, if you got games that are 40 to 35 rather than 17 to 14. You know, just just the way everything the way results and uh, scores resonate with the public. I think that people would look and say, oh, you've got to, you know, it's 40-35, they're good, rather than winning 17-14, to 14, it's they're bad. Cal has made a change. Offensive coordinator Bill Musgrave and the offensive line coach are out. Uh, Justin Wilcox, head coach there, that had to be painful. That had to be difficult for Wilcox to, to make those moves. He's known Musgrave a long time. They have a lot of trust, a lot of rapport. Um, that had to be a really difficult move for him. What does Cal do now, and will it matter? I think it will matter. I mean, short term, I don't know what they're going to do. I, they haven't announced who's going to be calling the plays the last couple of weeks here. Uh, but look, I, Musgrave, you can make the case they should have made a change in offensive coordinator last last winter, right? And they may be in a much better position offensively if they had. Did Wilcox's relationship with Musgrave impact his decision to try it one more year? Uh, I think it probably did. Their offensive line has been just almost, you know, just terrible a lot of times this year. Uh, but it's tough. They've got they've got better players. I, it's rare to say this for Cal, but their, their offensive personnel is actually the skill positions better than it's been, especially a tailback, and they haven't made maximum use of it. And it just shows you, and Washington fans know what we're talking about here, if you're a defensive a head coach with a defensive background, whether it's Jimmy Lake or Justin Wilcox, and you make a bad hire with your offensive coordinator, it can have huge effects on your program. Look at Dan Lanning at Oregon. I mean, he's a defensive-minded guy, but he's got Kenny Dillingham. And 
you know, I keep thinking about Wilcox getting offered the Oregon job. And, you know, I can say this now. I think part of the hangup there was that Oregon was not going to let Wilcox bring Musgrave as his offensive coordinator. That was buried in sort of the idea. I don't know that that is the reason that he didn't take it, but I think that could have certainly been part of it. And right now, as I examine what's happening at Cal, um, I'm looking at what Oregon did and thinking, well, maybe Oregon saw what we all saw. They, you know, that they had an idea of what they wanted to be on the offensive side of the ball, even if they were going to go with a defensive guy. So Cal's got to make a a big course correction here. Yeah, well, and and that's, you know, Oregon's right because the thing is, you got to have an offensive coordinator and an offensive offensive system that fits with the players you can get. And Oregon and Cal are recruiting two different types of players, right? And what the system that's going to work at Cal isn't necessarily going to work at Oregon. Uh, and I think that Will Cox realized that and he wanted he wanted something, you know, more of a, a not old school, but more, you know, a pro style offense that fits with with the the kids they can recruit. And Musgrave you know, he just couldn't make it work. And and I think that they'll still stay with something along those lines. You're not going to see Cal play in, you know, high speed spread offense necessarily, but he's got to find somebody who can, who can execute better than Musgrave did because they have underperformed and it has taken all the momentum away from his program. Uh, frankly, they came out of COVID, it hit, COVID affected them for two years. They finally are out of it and they should be better than they are offensively. And that was a that was a he got that higher wrong. The academic standards at Cal and Stanford, I think, are going to be a problem for the transfer portal with those two schools. But Cal has is not as rigid as Stanford, and so we should see some separation here with those schools. And I am a little worried about what is going to happen to Stanford football if they don't make a course correction. But they're playing this game this weekend, and I'm kind of wondering if, like you know. These are teams that just didn't participate, like Washington and USC and Oregon and others with the transfer portal. Certainly not Arizona, who had 21 transfers just this last offseason. Yeah, Cal's got a few guys. I think the bigger issue is, you know, everybody, and this is an exaggeration for sure, right? Obviously, USC and UCLA losing uh, losing those schools is is a huge, huge blow to the Pac-12. But you know what else is affecting the Pac-12 is the Bay Area is a black hole in the two sports that matter. I mean, Cal and Stanford football, men's basketball, they are irrelevant and uh, have been irrelevant now for a few years. And when you think about the Bay Area and recruiting and the market and all that, you know, the Pac-12 needs the Bay Area schools to be at least solid. And it is just uh, the you know, the worst, this is like the worst slump for, for the two schools with their two major programs in a long time. And I think it, it correlates directly with how there's changes in college athletics with the transfer portal NIL, you know, in you, you got to spend more, you know, coaches salaries, uh, you know, support staff, all those kind of things. And those schools are getting left behind. And if they, unless they make some institutional changes, I don't know how they're going to climb out of this, and that that affects the Pac-12. They need the Bay Area schools to be good. He's John Wilner of the Bay Area News Group. You can read him at Pac12Hotline.com. I'm John Canzano. You can find me at JohnCanzano.com. Big meeting coming up this week that will have uh, some ripple effects here on the Pac-12. Uh, UCLA and the UC Regents. What's going to happen Thursday, Friday? The 
The, do you expect a decision, Wilner? Do you expect that you know smoke come out of the you know is this a conclave? What are we what are we doing here? <laughs> yeah, I think there is going to be a decision finally. I don't know. I haven't been able to pin down whether there's going to they're going to walk out of that meeting. So Thursday morning, according to the agenda that's posted on the Regents website, Thursday morning they're going to discuss UCLA's membership in the Big Ten. There is a closed session followed by an open session. I don't remember the timing exactly. It's open session somewhere around 10 or 11. I don't know that they're going to walk out of that open session and the chair is going to read a statement. UCLA can go on its merry way. UCLA is not going anywhere. But I do think they're going to come to a conclusion, whether we know that and it's made public. I think that this is the last time they're going to take it up. Uh, and I think the schools, you know, UCLA wants this thing resolved, right? Recruiting is coming up in a month. Um, so, so I think they're going to resolve it. I don't know for sure. We're going to know by like noon what happened, uh, but they should, this should be the last time they meet. We should know for sure. And the interesting thing is, you know, the PAC 12 doesn't have, I don't believe the PAC 12 has got an offer that they can show the regents and say, well, if UCLA stays, it's X dollars. If UCLA goes, it's Y dollars, right? That may help the regents get a little bit better feel for exactly what's at stake. And I'm not sure if the PAC-12 is far enough along that it can provide hard numbers to the regents if if the regents wanted that. But we should get some kind of resolution here, if not Thursday, then then you know next week. What you know? Well, let's 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 handicap this. I, I have it at eight percent, eight percent chance that UCLA reverses course. So I think it's 92% that they come out of there with a slap on the wrist and they head off to the Big Ten. How do you see it? I see it maybe uh, maybe a, a tick higher, 10, 15% that there's a reversal. Um, and I think that there's, it is possible, and this is not something we've discussed, right? It, there's There's two potential courses that could lead to a reversal. One is that the regions just put their foot down and say, and and with Newsom's backing, right? Uh, he we can't exclude his influence from this situation, and I'm sure that he's maybe feeling a little emboldened by what happened last week uh, with elections. But he's he's a player in this whole thing for sure. They could put their foot down and say, "You can't go. We've got the authority to block it." The other issue is UCLA could decide to reverse, right? And UCLA would decide to reverse. Because there's a financial penalty attached that doesn't that makes it you know not worthwhile for them to go, or UCLA could reverse if the Pac-12 sweetens the pot somehow. And I don't think these things are likely, but they are also the chances are non-zero, right? So we we gotta we gotta mention it. Uh, but what if the Pac-12 goes to UCLA and says, you know what, well, we'll give you uh, a share and a half of revenue? right to to stay maybe they stay i don't know but that's that's another way this whole thing could could uh be resolved i think it's going to be fascinating it obviously matters and then there will be football games played after it so it should be wild uh, and the other thing yeah. is too the other thing is too i'm sure part of the region's process for the last three months is behind the scenes, they've been trying to get Cal into the Big Ten, right? There's no question that that's been happening. And it's clear to me at this point that the Big Ten is not ready to move forward here with more invitations, right? 
with first Cal, Stanford, Washington, Oregon. It just doesn't seem very likely at this point. So the region's pursuing that course of action behind the scenes for three months is probably reached a dead end. And what impact now that they know Cal doesn't have a, a, an option, what impact will that have on the decision they make? May That may increase the chances that they, they slap UCLA with some kind of subsidy. John Wilner, let's talk coach of the year. Pac-12's got a bunch of candidates. Uh, I think we're not going to agree on this based on uh, you know some of our off-air conversations, but uh, I'm going to go first. I think the coach of the year has to be somebody who's in contention for the Pac-12 championship. So I'm talking about Lincoln Riley at USC. I'm talking about Dan Lanning at Oregon, Kyle Whittingham at Utah, Chip Kelly at UCLA, Kalen DeBoer at Washington. There's some good stories in this conference with guys that are below that in the standings, but I think the coach of the year has to be one of them. And it, you know, and it's to be determined because I need to see UCLA and USC play. I need to see how Dan Lanning spins out of this uh, loss to Washington. Need to see if Kalen DeBoer can finish this season strong. And what about Kyle, sneaky Kyle Whittingham? He wins this damn thing, and he ends up in Vegas. Uh, I think i got to consider Kyle Whittingham. But how do you see it? Well, you're dealing with reality. <laughs> um, <laughs> I am, you know, I take a little bit more old school look at it. Like, which coach is doing the best with what they've got? And I think you can make a good case. Jonathan Smith. I mean, every year, Whittingham and Smith are similar. Every year, they're they're very close to maximizing their talent, right? I think if if Arizona wins out and gets a six, and they're going bowling, even if Jed Fish is what would he be six or seventh in the standings, you could make a great case for Jed Fish if if he gets Arizona to six and six. Um, and DeBoer, DeBoer's you know he's but they're winning and he's done a, a really really good job. So I'm a little bit more. I don't know if it's old school, but what are you doing with what you got? Now, two important pieces to this are that they are not going to vote until, and all of this goes for all of the postseason awards and all conference, that all takes place after the championship game. So maybe it will come down to who wins the title. Uh, and the other thing is, I believe that what they do is they ask the coaches to list two got two players, first pick, second pick. And it gets to be a little bit of a popularity contest and a, there's politics involved, right? I mean, it doesn't behoove Oregon for USC's coach to be coach of the year, right? Because of re the recruiting implications, vice versa is also true. So sometimes I feel like these guys pick the coach uh, to win it that is going to have the least impact on their own team's recruiting. Yeah, I, I feel like in a lot of years, the coach that wins it, he's got a loaded team, and maybe the best job is done by somebody who finishes second, third, or fourth in the conference. But in this year, the way that these teams are jockeying at the top of this conference, I'm looking at the job Kyle Whittingham has done in overcoming so many injuries and finding ways to win. Dan Lanning to be determined. If he spins out of the loss to Washington and Oregon cleans up, wins three straight, how is coach of the year? Lincoln Riley, if he ends up a one-loss conference champion in year one after USC's, you know, debacle last year, how is he not coach of the year? And if Kalen DeBoer, you know, wins out this season and factors at the top of the conference, I got to consider him. So, and, and, and then I can't ignore Chip Kelly. So 
it's a to be determined conversation. Like we're gonna have, be having this talk in two weeks for real. But no, we will. Those we are will, my but, candidates. We, but do you really think that those coaches are gonna look at Lincoln Riley, newcomer at <laughs> USC? No, he's got Caleb Williams. He's raided a bunch of rosters to get transfers. See the popularity and political piece to me. I could see Lincoln Riley being second choice yeah. on a lot of ballots, and that may that may affect the. I just I have a hard time. David Shaw beat beat out Clay Helton for Coach of the Year in twenty was it twenty seventeen? USC won the title, and Shaw got picked Coach of the Year ahead of ahead of Hel- Helton. Helton beat him twice, I think, and I just. I I will be surprised if Lincoln, even if they're twelve and one, there's going to be a lot of coaches that don't want to vote for Lincoln Riley. Do you? And think, it has nothing to do yeah. with Lincoln Riley's ability to coach. It's just the political piece. Mario Cristobal had some of that stigma chasing him at Oregon. Guys wouldn't, the coaches would not vote for his players, and he, it really yes. rankled him. Does that leave with Cristobal leaving, or is that an Oregon thing? Like you know, well, Dan, is good that a question? You know what I mean? <laughs> good question. Well, I think that a lot of times, and I did a detailed look at this a few was three years ago i think oregon was 20 2019 they won the league and they their representation on the all-conference team paled in comparison to previous conference champions and i think it was entirely due that to other coaches not liking cristobal's approach to recruiting there was no and and just not wanting to to support oregon in any way shape or form i don't know if they feel that way about dan landing or not uh, to me, Landing's problem is he's going to be looked at kind of the the new guy, and I don't know how how well that will carry. But to me, that was clearly a protest vote over the way Cristobal went about recruiting. Uh, there's no way you can look at it any in any other form. And I think if we're handicapping it, I do think other coaches are going to look at Dan Landing and say, "Look, he inherited a whole bunch." They're going to look at Lincoln Riley, like you said, and said, "We're not voting for a USC guy." So I do think Kalen DeBoer, Kyle Whittingham is always going to be a candidate. And I, I think Chip Kelly will suffer same, some of that same Lincoln-Riley fate because I think if UCLA really is leaving this conference, the coaches are going to be reticent to vote for him. So I, I kind of feel like it's a Whittingham-DeBoer conversation at that point. Yeah, it could. that could be what it comes down to unless, well, what if, what if Oregon State beats the Ducks? Okay. What if they're sitting there at what would their record? If they went out, they could have nine six wins. And three, nine and three. Not, if Jonathan yeah. Smith has got nine wins and he's six and three in league and he beats Oregon, he's going to get some support. Yeah. Okay. And but, you could, I mean, that would be, I don't know if he'd be a no brainer at that point, but that'd be pretty darn good. I mean, he just does such a great job, right? He's like oh, he's, so many yeah. similarities between Smith and Whittingham and Oregon State and Utah. When you think back to Utah five years ago, right before they got to this top tier, they were kind of second level, but they always did such a good job with their recruiting and their coaching. There's so many similarities. You know, if you talk about in a three-year window, the job that someone's done, I don't know how you could argue against Jonathan Smith. Just takes a program that was a two-win program. Now they can beat anybody, especially on their home field. And you're right, if they get to nine wins... Uh, he would get a lot of support for that. And I think, you know, you talk about who gets more out of what, gets everything out of what he has, it's Jonathan Smith. I mean, that's that's the guy who gets everything out of what he has in a given season. 
Yeah, I, I infuriated more than a few Washington fans a week or two. Oh, it was last week after the Oregon Washington game, Oregon State Washington game, right? I mean, you watch that game and you think, man, if you put Michael Penix on Oregon State, they might be in first place, right? Uh, they just they are really you know lacking at quarterback play, and everywhere else, it's it's a really good twenty one players. He's John Wilner. Find him at Pac12Hotline.com. You can find me at JohnConzano.com. We'll be back to talk about this wild weekend of games later in the week with a second episode. Make sure you share this episode with friends. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so the minute we post it, it pops up in your feed and you'll get an alert. That there's a new episode available. Wilner, uh, appreciate you being here with me and doing this. I'm having a lot of fun with it. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you very much. And let's all root for that five-way tie, right? <laughs> I don't know if I can take that. You know, I. How about this? Can I just say one more thing that I think a lot of Pac-12 fans are thinking? Maybe some of them aren't saying. I don't think the Pac-12 fans, other than USC or UCLA, want to see USC or UCLA in Vegas. So Oregon, Utah, Washington, Oregon rematch. Can can that happen? Like you tell me. What is what is the uh, L.A. free championship game matchup that is most likely? Most likely is probably uh, Oregon. Uh, you, boy, USC's got the inside track in a yep. lot of ways. But Oregon, Utah, right? Uh, especially if it's a close game in Eugene this week, then a rematch would be probably palatable to a lot of people. Uh but also the, you know, I think a lot of folks would like Washington, Utah because they're not playing during the season. Yeah, that's why I wanted to see USC in Oregon. But I don't want to see that unless Bo Nix is on the field and he's healthy. And or I want to see Utah USC rematch on a neutral site because that was a hell of a game. Yeah. The other thing is, before I forget, right? We should watch, and by by the time we we have our second conversation later this week, we should know the TV ratings from the Oregon-Washington game, and a, a little birdie told me that they are dynamite. And I I bet it ends up being the top-rated Pac-12 game, certainly to date. USC-UCLA could could eclipse it. But I think that game did a lot big number, and it adds to what we talked about last week, right, with the, just the value of that rivalry and the way the conference needs to try to maximize it in this new era. And uh, I, I think we're going to see big numbers. I think it beat the Ohio State game. But will it beat the numbers for this podcast? We will find out. All right. Make sure you're subscribed <laughs> and share it with your friends. We're back uh, next time. Thanks for being here. Thanks, everybody.